Some believe that God put us here. Some believe evolution. I think we got lucky. It could be a combination of both. I don't know. I mean, I assume, I assume evolution. Who knows? Adam and Eve, we got here is from the beginning, I believe. I go with evolution. That seems to work. That seems... <laughs> I guess I accept it on faith the way uh, people accept creation stories on faith, but it seems to work. I truthfully don't know. I think that Adam and Eve, I think it could be a mix of science and religion, um, sort of both ends of the spectrum. How did we get here? I think that's the greatest mystery of all. Well, you've seen my, uh, my profile picture. What you have not seen is my dance moves. So, I just whipped him out one time, and I got my wife when she saw my dance moves, and I put him away, and I've never brought him out since. So, well, good morning, church. I am so excited about this series. It's so good. Do you know the Bible does not say, I'll remind you, the Bible does not say that Christians are to be transform, transformed by the removal of your minds, but by the renewal of your minds. So it's interesting and unfortunate that in our day and age, we think that intellectualism has been relegated to the non-Christian world, that we're all heart and feeling and blind faith. That is absolutely wrong. The truth is, God told us to worship Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our, say it out loud, mind, and all of our strength. God has given us our whole being, including our intellect. And so we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so Christianity is not a blind faith. It is a faith based on strong evidence that God exists, that the Bible is true, that there is only one way to heaven, what happens after we die, why does God allow suffering if he's a good God, and what is true, creation or evolution. All of these can be answered. And what I don't want is for you and I in the Christian world to be intimidated by waves of uh, criticism and mocking and a superior approach to Christianity and the Bible. We do not need to be intimidated, and we can be well-equipped with very good answers for very good questions. Every believer can answer these questions. So today, what I want us to do is I want to look at uh, this question. What is true, creation or evolution? Some of you may have seen the Spencer Tracy movie, Inherit the Wind, uh, in 1925, it was called the Scopes Monkey Trial, and it was a assistant teacher, a, a substitute teacher, Scopes, that wanted to uh, have the right to teach evolution in schools. And uh, it was a huge issue. It got national acclaim, which was his motivation, was to get this on uh, the national radar. One of the, the prosecuting attorney, or the one that was defending uh, the Christian faith being the curriculum for public schools, was a three-time presidential candidate. I mean, there was a lot of high exposure. And though the, uh, the, the substitute teacher lost the case, it brought it into the public eye. And eventually, every uh, textbook, every high school, middle school, high school textbook uh, began including evolution as its uh, fact of how we got here and creationism disappeared from our textbooks. So I want us to approach this this morning and uh, begin with Charles Darwin, who in 1859, a scientist, wrote a book called On the Origin of Species. Where did we come from? And he was an Englishman that believed he had found the secret of the origin of life in a phenomenon called natural selection. Anybody ever heard of natural selection before? You've heard this concept, this philosophy, this theory. And this is what he believed, that selecting of superior traits would pass on into plants and animals in a natural way, that this all happens naturally, not by design, because the fittest members of each species tend to survive in larger numbers to the point of reproduction, and so they produce more offspring, and over time, 
they flourish and dominate and multiply, and the inferior species uh, cease to exist and they're eliminated from the gene pool. The definition of Darwin evolution is as follows. The basic idea of Darwin evolution is that all species of organisms arise and develop through the natural selection of small, inherited variations that increase the individual's ability to compete, survive, and reproduce. All life on earth can be traced back to a single moment when non-life gave birth to a simple form of life. And over time, that life form grew, reproduced, and mutated over millions of years into the microbes, magnolias, minnows, monkeys, and men that you see in our world today. Now, I want to say this, as I have said about last week when we talked about the top ten religions. As I present this, I'm not doing it in a sarcastic, condescending way. That will win nobody to Christ. These are competing and... and, um, uh, these are um, combative philosophies that very smart intellectual people believe on both sides. Well-meaning, sincere people believe on both sides. Same as I said with the ten top religions in the world, sincere people. You can be sincerely wrong, but when we demonize one another and try to run one another over, uh, we, we, don't, we don't win people to Christ that way. So what I want to do is equip us with brain food. With, with facts and information that will help you communicate the truths of the Bible clearly and cleanly to people who are open to hearing these facts. So you guys ready? And for those of you that are on the fence or you do believe in evolution rather than creation, this will be some food for thought. So the formula for Darwin evolution is this. Time plus chance plus natural selection equals all life on earth. And we're going to contrast this with the creation story in just a few moments. Now, most of you have been taught uh, or are being taught evolution in schools. Is that true? Raise your hand. You've been taught or are being taught evolution in schools, right? So you've heard the upsides of Darwin evolution. I see my kids' textbooks come home. I've got kids in elementary school, middle school, and high school. And they're all being taught natural selection and, and Darwin's tree of life and and the whole deal. And so I need to sit down with them and I need to show them all this other information. I have a son right now at UCSD and he's getting the wave of evolutionary theories and he and I are having conversations about it. And it's just amazing how big chunks of information are left out of his education. And so it's imperative that we uh, at least bring all the facts to the table on both sides and allow our kids to decide for themselves. So I want to show you some downsides to Darwinian evolution which, and, and why I cannot believe in it. Number one, there's four points of that are, I believe, the downsides to Darwinian evolution. One is statistics point away from evolution. Statistics point away from evolution. You have, a, you have notes in your bulletin, and if you need a, a pen, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you a pen so you can fill out the half sheet in your bulletin. And I know some of you do Bible-based small groups. You'll be able to discuss this in your small groups this week. Statistics point away from evolution. At its core, evolution is about reproduction. And reproduction is far more complicated than Darwin ever realized 150 years ago because we did not have microbiology. On a macro level, on a micro level, it's made up of reactions of amino acids and proteins and enzymes and DNA, RNA, and all these other amazing wonders that carry and decipher information that's necessary to reproduce cells in creatures. So follow this for a minute. It's going to get complicated, but that's the point. It's not as simple as Darwin thought 150 years ago. Dr. Jonathan Sarfati of the Victoria University in Wellington says this, the possibility of life's simplest organisms coming into being without help is 10 to the 4,925th power. Now, if you remember last week, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the probability, the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 332 prophecies he fulfilled. Just eight of them that were fulfilled. The mathematical probability of that is 10 to the 17th power, which is 100 times, 100,000, thousand, 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 thousand. This 
probability is completely off the charts. Consider this. There are only 10 to the 80th power atoms in the entire universe. There's only 10 to the 12th power atomic interactions, and that should say per second. Yeah, per second. Now watch this. There's only 10 to the 18 seconds since the origin of the universe came into existence, which uh, evolutionists say was 13.73 billion years ago. And there's only 10 to the 110th power interactions since the Big Bang brought the universe into existence. So there's only 10 to the 110th power of interactions, and that interactions number is a lot smaller than the 10th to the 4,925th power necessary for non-life to bring life into existence. When you look at these statistics, it's just not possible. Here's a second reason I don't believe in time plus chance plus natural selection equals all the life we see on earth. And that is species in our world are retarding, not advancing. You guys have all heard about the, the second law of thermodynamics, right? You, have, you, have you heard of that? You with me? Hello? Wake up your brains. Second law of thermodynamics. You heard of that? That law says this. It's the law of entropy. It says this. And this, for me, is the big one. It says that things are not getting better. They're getting worse. Now, this is a natural law. What we now know about genetic mutations, which Darwin could not have known in 1859, is that when living things reproduce, genes don't get added or created to that life form's genome. Just the opposite happens. Genetic mutations are almost always negative. There's either a turning off a gene or the loss of it 97% of the time. So we're going backwards, not forwards. This is what... Dr. John Sanford, the geneticist in Cornell University, said, the process of mutation is relentless and is destroying us, not creating us. We are heading for extinction along with every other complex organism. Now, if you play it out in the real world, it looks like this. The essential microbes genome is about half a billion nucleotides. And the human genome has about three billion nucleotides. To change a microbe into a man would require the addition of 2.5 billion nucleotides. But genes don't get added often enough to account for the upward development of life over hundreds of trillions of years, let alone over the 13.73 billion years that evolution say the universe has been in existence. So this is a major problem. It's like trying to run up a down escalator and evolve. Thirdly, and this is huge, Nature, and this is, for me, for me, this is the nail in the coffin of Darwinian evolution. And that is the, that nature has too many irreducible complexities. What you're going to hear in just a moment, I'm going to show you a little video clip. What you're going to see is that Darwin himself said that if you can reduce the atom, then his theory falls apart. Because when he was a scientist, we thought that an atom was just a blob. It was very simple, and it was easily to re- reproduce. But what we now know through microbiology is it is not simple at all. Over the last several decades, scientists, scientists and microbiologists have uncovered a level of complexity within living tissue that no one could have imagined 150 years ago. And every living creature and every living process within every creature are numerous sets of processes that could not have been built one step at a time. Now, that's natural selection. You have to understand that it's natural selection says that something comes into existence by itself, and then it is there until another thing comes into existence over millions of years, and then they connect, and then another thing comes by random chance, and then it connects, and then when it's all connected, it works. The problem with that is, with natural selection, it says that the survival of the fittest, the the strongest, most productive, productive, the thing that is uh, contributing the most is the one that survives. But if you have a part that's sitting here, and it can't function without another part, and has to wait millions of years, it's not going to make it. It's like, to break it down in even simpler terms, it's like I have this blender at home, and I I do smoothies after I work out in the morning, right? You put a banana, you put some peanut butter, you put some milk, right? And you put a little Metamucil in there if you're 55, and and then you blend it up. You know what drives me crazy? is when somebody 
you know, you have, you have, the, you have the blender, but then you have the blades, right? You got to put the blades on the blender or the blades on the uh, cup, whatever it is. And you put it in the blender, put the lid on, right? And you turn it on. Doggone it, when you're living in a house of nine people, you can never get all the parts together at one time. Now, the, the little blades itself does no good. It won't produce a smoothie for me. And the cup itself, without being t- attached, won't produce a smoothie for me. They've got to be found, and they've got to happen at the exact same time. They can't happen individually from one another. That's irreducible complexities. Now, Bellick and I were uh, driving down the road one day, just a father-daughter date, and she said, you know, if I was not a believer, I would probably believe in evolution. I said, why? She said, all the stuff that I'm learning at school. And as a dad, I'm like, dang. So I came home and immediately uh, I rented, a, I purchased a DVD because our youth listen through their eyes. This generation listens through their eyes. I have three books by Lee Strobel, who was an atheistic journalist uh, working for the Boston Globe, and his wife became a Christian. And so he set out to disprove Christianity and disprove the resurrection. He interviewed the top uh, men and women in their scientific field of expertise. And his conclusion was that Christianity is true, that creation is true, and that Jesus did rise from the dead. Now he's a Christian apologist that goes around the world. He's written the book, A Case for Christ, A Case for Creation, A Case for the Bible. And in The Case for Creation, he interviewed some of the top scientists in the world. You're going to see one, a couple of them here very briefly. And, uh, and, and so I showed this DVD to Bella. And after the DVD was over, she said, well, why, do they, why are they still teaching evolution in schools? And I said, thank God. So I want you to watch this very short clip. And this has to do with irreducible complexity. What I was just explaining to you about the blender. Take a look at this. It has a stator. It has a rotor. It has a U-joint. It has a drive shaft. It has a propeller. It's not convenient that we give them these names. That's truly their function. In all, about 40 different protein parts are required to build a flagellar motor. Half of them are constructor proteins, specialized mechanisms that assemble the flagellum's individual components. Since its discovery, biologists have tried to understand how a machine of such superb design could have arisen gradually, without foresight or plan, through the biological pathway Darwin envisioned. I think what Darwin was trying to show was that things that look designed aren't really designed, but that we can find naturalistic processes to account for the complexity of life. Darwin theorized that every part of every living organism evolved through natural selection, a blind process that acts upon random changes in the cell. Darwin believed that given enough time, these random variations would transform the simplest cells into the great diversity of life that inhabits our planet. In his study of evolution and molecular machines, Michael Behe has raised a significant challenge to the creative power of Darwin's mechanism of natural selection. It is called irreducible complexity. Irreducible complexity was coined by Mike Behe in describing these molecular machines. Basically what it says is that you have multi-component parts to any given organelle or system in a cell, all of which are necessary for function. That is, if you remove one part, you lose function of that system. Irreducible complexity can be illustrated by a familiar, non-biological machine, a mousetrap. The trap is composed of five basic pieces, a catch to hold the bait, a strong spring, a thin bent rod called the hammer, a holding bar to secure the hammer in place, and a platform upon which the entire system is mounted. If any one of these parts is missing or defective, the mechanism will not work. All components of this irreducibly complex system must be present simultaneously for the machine to perform its function. Catching mice. Not a real mouse. The concept of irreducible complexity also applies to biological machines, including the bacterial flagellum. 
All told, there are about 40 different protein parts which are necessary for this machine to work. And if any of those parts are missing, uh, then either you get a flagellum that doesn't work because it's missing the hook or it's missing the drive shaft or whatever, or it doesn't even get built within the cell. You can't put something like that together gradually because they need a large number of parts interacting with each other at the same time before they work at all. Without the tools to observe the machinery of the cell, and long before the idea of irreducible complexity, Charles Darwin offered a way to test his own theory. In Origin of Species, he wrote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous, successive, slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. Darwin acknowledged that if someone identified a biological system that could not have been constructed in incremental steps over long periods of time, then his theory would be invalid. And what Michael Behe and others have discovered is the existence of biological machinery that cannot be explained away by Darwinian processes. Darwin's failed predictions have in fact falsified his own theory. It has a stator, it has a... So the chance that a random set of parts that serves no purpose might survive in nature long enough to become a digestive system or a kneecap takes more faith than believing in a bean that exists that could create a digestive system or a kneecap. And much more, it counters the law of natural selection. And here's the fourth reason that I cannot believe in Darwin evolution. And that is evolution has a negative effect on ethics. You don't see this in print often, but here's the title of Darwin's actual book. On the origin of species by means of natural selection, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. You heard it right. What he said was that superior races, the most fit race, would overwhelm and wipe out the less fit races. In Darwin's second book, called The Descent of Man, he prophesied this. At some future period, quote, not every distant, not very distant, uh, measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. And that's exactly what happened. People who were influenced by his philosophy, like Joseph Stalin, he read, Joseph Stalin in Russia read on the origins of species as, as a 13-year-old boy. And he told his friends, quote, God is not just unjust, He just doesn't actually exist. We've been deceived. If God existed, he'd have made the world more just. I'll lend you a book and you'll see what I'm talking about. And he was talking about Darwin's book of the origins. Stalin's greatest purge resulted in more than 30 million deaths. Don't tell me that religion creates more death than atheism. It's not even close. And China... One of Mao's favorite books was Darwin's Origins. In the 1880s, German troops reduced the heroic people of Southwest Africa from 80,000 down to 15,000 to make room for German settlers. During World War I, the first eugenics society was founded in Germany. It promoted the genetic purification of the races. The idea that justified killing 6 million Jews, gypsies, handicapped people and just about anyone else who caused inconveniences to the master race. There's another genocide going on right now out of inconvenience, if you know what I'm talking about. Over how many millions of babies are killed every day, many of them because it's inconvenient. Hitler himself was influenced strongly by Darwin and Friedrich Nietzsche, who was the philosopher who coined the phrase, God is dead. In the United States, eugenics was responsible for sterilizing 70,000 people during the 1920s and 30s when Darwinism was uh, being embraced by our society, targeting the mentally retarded, the deaf, the blind, people with epilepsy, criminals, and those with tuberculosis and syphilis. See, the atheist view is that all life is random, just a temporary linking together of atoms and molecules. Richard Dawkins, who now is the late Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous 
atheistic evolutionist scientist the world has ever known said this, quote, the universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. This is about the negative effect evolution has on ethics. A, a quote by Susan Blackmore, evolutionary psychologist, says this, in the, in the end, nothing matters. If you really think about evolution and why we human beings are here, you have to come to the conclusion, you have to come to the conclusion that we are here for absolutely no reason at all. The former atheist, evolutionist, plant physiologist, and scientific educator at James Cook University, uh, David Catchpool, who is now a Christian apologist, says this, quote, if random molecular rearrangements led to the first cell of your life, which purely by chance and time eventually became people, then there is no basis for determining value for anything aside from, aside from the shifting sands of human opinion. C.S. Lewis, the famous Oxford professor, says this, quote, if the solar system was brought about by accidental collision, then the appearance of organic life on this planet was also an accident. And the whole evolution of man was an accident too. If so, then all our present thoughts are mere accidents, the accidental byproduct of the movement of atoms. So if the thoughts of materialists, that means this world is all there is, are merely accidental byproducts, why should we believe them to be true? I see no reason for believing that one accident should be able to give correct account of all the other accidents. Now compare this to the beautiful display, the masterful piece of literature and the and recorded history of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 in Genesis chapter 1 is just so amazing. In the beginning, say this out loud with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now watch this. The first verse in the Bible has the four fundamental determinations of physics. You have time, in the beginning, you have the cause, God created, you have space, the heavens, and you have matter, the earth. Boom. Genesis 1.1 has the four determining factors of physics right there. Now the formless, Genesis chapter 1 is just so magnificent. The formless needed to be formed and the space needed to be filled. And what you'll find is in day one, two, and three, you find the formlessness and the emptiness. Then in days four, five, and six, you see the forming and the filling. It's just masterful. Look at this. In day one, let me get, well, let me get my little trusty, I just love this thing. Helps me preach better. Okay, can I, can I have the chart up here? The days of forming, light formed on day one. Three days later, days of filling, give light to the earth, God says. And days of forming, day two, water formed in the sky. Three days later, birds fill the sky. Day two, water formed on the surface. Three days later, day five, creatures fill the sea. Day three, dry land formed. And three days later, day six, animals filled the land. And day three, vegetation was formed. And three days later, day six, plant for food filled the land. There's such a rhythm and majesty of God's creation in Genesis 1. At the beginning of each day comes the announcement, and God said, let there be. And then five, five of the six days give the acknowledgement, and it was so. I love it. Each day's description concludes with, and God saw that it was Good. Followed by the benediction, and the evening and the morning were the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. So how did this all happen? How, how, did the, how did the space and the matter begin? Well, in one chaotic moment, God created. Now, there's two words for created you see through this creation account. 
One of the words is only used twice. And that is the word bara. It's the Hebrew word which means created from nothing. The other word is asa. And that means that which is to form or fashion to manufacture or labor. In other words, uh, bara, you create something out of nothing, which is what Darwin says happened naturally, which is the, the, the main issue with Darwin evolution is where did it all begin? Well, here we don't have any confusion. In the beginning, God created. And so after he created something out of nothing, then he took that something and he used Asa, which he formed everything out of this. But there were two other times. He actually used Bauer three times. Two other times, and it's beautiful to see where else he created something out of nothing. In Genesis 1-2, the vantage point shifts to the surface of the earth. Now, Genesis 1-1, you're looking from space. You're looking from outer space. That's all there was. Genesis 1-2 now, now we're down on the surface of the earth, and we're looking at things from the earth's perspective. And it says, now the earth was formless, Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was the only eyewitness. He's the impetus. He's the energy that executed God's desires in creation. At this earth, at this point, the earth is dark. Particles are coalescing. Debris is everywhere. As the initial mass that would become Earth gathers more and more debris to itself, it generates greater gravitational attraction. I would just love to have seen this. Scientists believe that during planetary formation, a planet's atmosphere moves from opaque to translucent to transparent over a vast amount of time. In the earliest report, Earth's atmosphere was still opaque. The dark surrounding the surface is so thick that no light even gets through. At this point, the earth is formless. Chunks of space debris are impacting the earth's surface like huge bombs. Gravity is bringing atoms together. The sphere is formed. The earth is empty. Life requires photosynthesis. Since light can't penetrate to the surface yet, no life is yet possible. Day one, Genesis 1-3. Let there, say it out loud, let there be light, which scientists now have concluded that light is the primary source of energy in the universe, holding the inner universe together. Genesis 1-3. Could have saved us a lot of time and money and manpower to figure that one out. I'm sorry, I said I wouldn't be sarcastic. At his command, light appeared, earth was clearing the atmosphere, moving from opaque to translucent just like the planetary scientists say it does. You wouldn't be able to see very far in these conditions, but light was becoming distinguishable out of the darkness. Now, how did this happen? Under God's direction, gravity pulled some debris earthward. The sun pulled more in its direction. In theory, our world should be, have a thicker atmosphere than we do. But cosmologists tell us that the greater the planet's surface and gravitational pull and distance from the star, the heavier and thicker the atmosphere, but Earth breaks this rule, leading astronomers to believe that during this time a collision took place, which is considered the Big Bang, which is not against creation. It's just who caused the Big Bang. Our home was hit by a mass roughly the size of Mars. This planet, man, I wish we had some video and, and uh, illustrations on this. It would just be so beautiful to watch. This planet-sized object was absorbed into Earth's core, blasted most of our atmosphere into space, and the jetsam from the impact circled the Earth and eventually formed our moon. <laughs> He's just showing off. This impact created benefits for us. It thinned our atmosphere enough to permeate light or permit light to reach the surface. It added enough mass to Earth's gravity that we could hold on to water vapor, but not so much gravity that we would retain lighter, life-threatening gases in our atmosphere. It increased Earth's iron content enough to support abundant sea life, which in turn supports advanced land life. The crash seeded Earth's interior with uh, radioisotopes, and these isotopes give off heat that warms our core and create a significant volcanic activity 
That volcanic activity created evolutions, uh, evolution upheavals that eventually breached the water line, creating dry land. The crash also gradually slowed Earth's rotation so that increasingly complex life forms could be introduced. And it fixed the tilt of our axis, which enables seasons and prevents extreme temperatures and cold, extinguishing life. Day two. <laughs> that was day one. It's just so beautiful. And do you realize he's preparing it all for you and I? It's like a father or a mother preparing the nursery for the baby that's yet to come. He created, the Bible says that God created the earth for man. I was just, the other day I was sitting, uh, at the, I think it was at the beach. No, I was sitting uh, at a track meet in Oceanside, yeah, about 7.30 a.m. And it was chilly, but as soon as the marine layer burned off and that sun came in, it's like, ah, it just felt good. I think, God, you're just so wonderful to give a sun for warmth. Do you realize if the sun was any closer, we would burn? If it was any farther, we would freeze. Such a caring father, such a caring creator. Day one. Genesis 1, 3, let their light be. Day 2, Genesis 1, 6. Now he separates the waters from the waters. A vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. It's the beginning of the water cycle. One of the most important processes for giving life to our world. God knew we needed water and he knew how we needed water to be delivered to us. Water vapor forms into clouds in our atmosphere descending as rain, snow, sleet, and hail to water the earth. Evaporation, primarily from our ocean, sends the water skyward to descend again. Day three. There's two let there be's in day three. Let the ground appear and let the land produce vegetation. Now, follow this. I know I'm reading a lot of this content, but it's because it's just so detailed and so magnificent. We've learned in recent years that compared to other planets, Earth experiences a high level of tectonic activity. This allows it to maintain a 30% of its surface's dry ground. Now, this 30 to 70 land-water surface split provides us with different altitudes, climates, topographies, and environments, all of which enable huge uh, levels of biological diversity. The natural process of erosion is continually washing dirt and rocks and sand back into our oceans. The land continues to be renewed by deposits through volcanoes and tectonic plate activity. Tides enrich coastal zones and continental shelves with nutrients simultaneously sanitizing them of waste and toxins. Without these processes, life would be threatened and over time, Earth would become a uniform ball, a a, a rock covered with water a mile and a half deep. I love it. In the book of Job, it says God told the waves, go this far and not any farther. So we could play in them and they wouldn't cover the earth with water. God's second creative day on day three is the production of plants. And it, and it, and, and their plant food for a source to take place on day five. This is the beginning of the plant source. The purpose of the initial plants was probably to begin the process of oxygen production and land fertilization and preservation. So day four. On day four, God commands, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs and marked as sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. Right now, the earth is moving from translucent to transparent. Most likely factors like air pressure, temperature, humidity, high planetary rotation rate kept a constant cloud over the earth. Slowed rotation rate, plant metabolism, carbon dioxide, stabilizing air pressure, temperature made direct sight of the sun and moon possible. Editorially, Moses explained that the purpose of the two great lights was not to be worshipped as many people did in that day and now in this day in astrology, worshipping these lights when actually God made them to serve us. Day five. Let the water team with living creatures. Now he's filling. 
Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kind. This is critical phraseology. According to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. This is the second time that God created something from nothing. He used bara. Since the initial Big Bang, God began forming things out of material, but now he's creating them out of nothing. He creates three types of species out of bara that possess intellect, will, and emotions. What the Hebrew calls nefesh. These beings are able to experience happiness, fear, sorrow. They can be tamed by us, related to us, fear us, or threatened us. God is preparing the entire planet to be habitated by humans. Day six. It just begins and ends with a flurry. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according, now watch this, according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move all along the earth. Well, you say, every time I see this, say the phrase according to his kind, will you say that with me? I'm going to start over. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to its kind. Say it out loud. Cattle and creeping thing and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Keep going. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Why do I have you do that? Why, that, why is that so important? Because in Darwin, is, Darwin evolution, it says that kinds evolve into different species but god put an adaptive lock on his creation every species can adapt but it adapts within its own species it does not evolve into a completely different species like an ape to a man doesn't happen because god put an adaptive lock on his creation genesis 1 26 the climax. Ready? Let us make mankind in our image. Whew. We are not animals. Animals were not created in God's image. Plants were not created in God's image. The moon, the sun, the stars, not created in God's image. Angels, not created in God's image. Evolution reduces us down to matter that doesn't matter. God created us in his image. Genesis 1, 27, the third and final use of bara. So God created mankind in his own image. Isn't it just beautiful? I mean, when you see your baby for the first time, it is, oh my gosh, it just, I couldn't express, I couldn't, I could not, there were no words to express what I was feeling. It's a miracle. For this life to come out of life, God gave us his creative ability, put it in our DNA, and what comes out of us is like us. You see yourself, and I've never seen greater joy than in a grandparent. I'm not a grandparent yet, but it's just ridiculous joy. It's different than a parent. I don't know if it's because you're not responsible for them or, or what it is. And you can feed them junk food and let them watch whatever they want and then just send them home and, and you know, it ends up having to put them back in boot camp for a week after they visit grandma and grandpa. I believe it's that this intrinsic, God-given sense of you are of me that goes to the third generation is a sense of my legacy continues. It's creation. That's why I believe abortion is the greatest slap in God's face that there could possibly be. Humans are something completely new. You know the other place that God uses? We're going to come to a close here. You know the other place that God uses 
it's a Greek word, but in the Old Testament it's bara, created from nothing. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Oh, <laughs> that just be- we're not remodified sinners. We've been born again. Jesus said that. Not some fundamentalist preacher, which I am one, unapologetically, but I'm kind. And merciful and compassionate and non-judgmental, just like anyone else should be that believes in the fundamental beliefs of Christianity. So don't let that tag, fundamentalism, be a negative for you. Yes, we believe the fundamental truths of the Bible. One of the fundamental truths is you don't earn your way to heaven. And when you come to Christ, you don't join a club. You literally are recreated, bara. The Spirit of God that created the worlds and the earth recreates you and me and literally restores the God image. And that's why you begin to change gradually from the inside out. Not through evolution, but through the life of Christ, the treasure of God that is within us. Until we see him face to face and we are, yeah, amen. Come Lord Jesus. Until we see him face to face and then we will be as he is. Humans are made completely out of nothing, completely new. In the image of God, we have it's where we get our morals, our aspirations, our self-awareness, our creativity, our capacity to reason on a high level. Look what he says in Genesis 1.28. He tells us to increase. Now, this is so important, and I'm going to cap with this. It's so important. Increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. The reason this is so important is because out of Genesis chapter 1, which gets completely dismantled through Darwin evolution, is our identity, our purpose, our worth, and our destiny. We are not here by random chance and by accident and purposeless. We are created by God who made us in his image, breathed his breath of life into our souls and we became living beings. And he said, be fruitful, subdue the earth and multiply. Let's walk together. Steward this earth, be my managers. And we fell from his grace when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we then began to decide what was true and what was untrue. Rather than going to God and asking Him, we decide for ourselves now what is true and what is not true. It is the battle of the wills. And when you finally lose that battle and you submit to the God, the Creator who loves us so desperately that He sent His own Son to take care of our sin problem and our rebellion problem, and Christ was crucified, sacrificed, tortured, and died on that cross for you and I, the innocent Trading places with the guilty. When you receive that, all your sins are completely forgiven. And God rebreathes His Spirit back into your soul. And you once again become a living spiritual being. And your spiritual eyes are opened again. Your spiritual ears are opened again. Your spiritual heart becomes alive again. And Christ lives in you until the day we see Him face to face. And we spend eternity with our Creator. Loving him and being loved by him. Woo! I love the word that says, your word is settled forever in heaven. It's in the earth where the word of God is getting beat around. But you and I, as followers of Christ, cannot be intimidated. We cannot compromise. We need to speak with compassion and clarity the truth of the Bible so that the world can have Hope. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 That's all I got. So I want you to target friends, neighbors, family members 
who do not know Christ. I pray this becomes your life mission. Because when it's all said and done, your career doesn't matter. The toys and the hobbies don't matter. Our degrees don't matter. Our wealth doesn't matter. It doesn't go with us. We go to spend eternity with God. And Christ wants every soul, every human being on the planet to come to him. And the apostle Paul said this, if someone does not believe the gospel, he said in 2 Corinthians 4, the same God that said light be, it's a beautiful passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the same God that said light be, who has spoken light into us. The Bible says that if someone does not believe that message of the gospel is because the God of this age, Satan has blinded their minds so they do not believe the gospel. You've got to target these people in compassionate prayer so that the blinders come off and Christ can come into their hearts and they can spend eternity with us, the family of God. We close your eyes just for a moment. There may be somebody here today that this message today gave you some information that you'd never heard before. And maybe God has given you the gift of faith today to believe in his son. He sent his son for you so that you could spend eternity with him. If that's you, and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer right now where you sit. Let these words come off your lips. Say, Dear God, I am a sinner, and I need salvation. And from what I understand, the Bible says that you sent your son to die for me. And that I have to accept that. I have to receive him. So I receive Jesus right now as my personal Savior. I submit my life to him in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, there's a card in your bulletin. Fill that out and just put, gave my life to Christ today. Maybe some of you, as believers, were confused about evolution versus creation. Hopefully, the confusion has been dispelled today and you have crystal clarity on the beautiful God that created you, created us. And I pray you're able to communicate this information and this message in a clear, concise, compelling, and compassionate way so you can build a bridge for people to come to Jesus, the only way to heaven. God bless you. Go to Connect Group this week, and I'll see you next week as Mark teaches on if God is good, why does he allow suffering? I gave the hardest one to him. Amen. God bless you. Prayer teams, please come down front. Prayer teams.